I want to begin by telling you about a lunch meeting I had on Friday. Uh, several, well, it's been two months ago, I guess. I think I was on LinkedIn, and you know how the pop-ups come up of you might want to know this person. And I clicked on one to connect with a, a prominent uh, mediator and divorce lawyer in St. Louis. And before I joined the staff here, I was a full-time mediator and still am leading on the board of directors for a statewide mediation association. So I, I live in that world a little bit of marriage, family, divorce mediation, business mediation. So I just thought I'd send this LinkedIn invitation. And within a couple of days, I got an, an email from this attorney's assistant asking if I would have lunch with this attorney to talk more. Oh, that's, that's cool. So we planned it for this Friday. This is a couple of months ago, not realizing at the time what it would be for this. So uh, Friday, I was getting ready to go to lunch. It was kind of funny because I was getting ready in the morning. Sarah was leaving to go to work before I left that morning, and she just kind of asked me, my wife Sarah asked me, well, what, what's your day like? And I just said, well, you should probably know I'm having lunch with a divorce lawyer today. She, <laughs> she laughed at me, which I found a little reassuring that she thought that was just, just a joke. Um, but so I had lunch with this woman. I'd never met her before, and we started talking, and she wanted to know what kind of mediation work I did, and I told her about Christian mediation and helping people in struggling marriages, or even when marriages are breaking apart, how to be a presence of God's love there. It was very fascinating. We were connecting a lot at a wonderful meeting. One of the things that we both resonated with was, in many cases, we, we talk to couples whose marriages are really breaking apart and they're contemplating divorce. And one of the things that we both share with them is that sometimes the pathway to be, if you're going to be, and I use this word in quotes, effectively or successfully or constructively divorced, especially if you have kids, uh, the path is a lot like what you would have to do if you're going to stay married. You know, you're still going to have communication issues and finance issues and co-parenting issues. So if you're going to stay in relationships in a healthy way when marriage falls apart, you're going to do a lot of the same kind of work. Which led to, I told her even about this message and the study that I uh, had read from Linda Wade at the University of Chicago, Does Divorce Make People Happy? And this is many years ago, this, this sociologist at the University of Chicago wrote this. And the, the assumption, called the divorce assumption, is that if you're stuck in a bad marriage, you have two choices. You stay married and miserable or get a divorce and become happy. And they were trying to figure that out. It does And some of you know, well, divorce definitely doesn't make you or bring happiness. Well, this is, they were trying to do some research on this. So they studied 5,232 couples they interviewed in the late 80s. Out of those couples, 645 reported that they were unhappily married. Five years later, they interviewed those couples again, and some had divorced, some had stayed married, but the summary of their finding was that there was no evidence that unhappy adults in their marriage who divorced were typically any happier than the unhappy married people who stayed married. In other words, the, just the act of getting divorced doesn't necessarily increase any happiness, but some people think that. Some people, when you're in a tough marriage, you want to be happy and you want to get out of this pain. Some of their findings are kind of interesting, just a few of their, their findings. Two-thirds of unhappily married spouses who stayed married reported their marriages were happy five years later. And certainly there are a lot of other uh, extenuating circumstances that went into this study and, and circumstances for individual couples. The next one, most unhappy, the most unhappy marriages reported most dramatic turnarounds. Among those who rated their marriages very unhappy, almost eight out of ten who avoided divorce were happy five years later. 
And unhappy spouses who divorced and remained married were no happier on average than those who stayed married. So the authors support. Obviously, they're not just saying outlast your problems because sometimes there are safety issues, there are other issues that come into play. But for a lot of couples who are, who are just trying to find happiness, and marriage is really hard and not happy, uh, what they found was to avoid divorce, many assume marriages need to be happier. And their conclusion was it's at least equally true that in order to get happier, couples must avoid divorce. Uh, well, that's good. And there are a lot of couples that I've worked with that, that they're looking for something that divorce would never give them. Even if it's a biblical divorce, and there's reason for it, that on the other side of that situation, it doesn't just bring happiness. It might bring a whole other set of problems. It might alleviate some problems, to be sure, especially if they're safety issues or, or, or other issues of an unfaithfulness. But marriage in our society has become something of a throwaway commodity. And for many, it, we, some of you know the wounds of divorce, either personally or your parents or someone that you know. Uh, the divorce rate is alarming. There's little room in, for commitment and long-term faithfulness. Some children grow up, and I think we're reaping the consequences of this in our culture of uh, minimizing marriage in our culture as a commitment, and people are struggling. Now, clearly, there are other factors. This isn't just outlast your problems, and sometimes there are safety issues. Sometimes there are reasons why divorce is the only option, and, and we'll get into that in just a little bit. But the questions that we wrestle with about divorce aren't new in our culture. Throughout history, uh, cultures and societies have wrestled with what is divorce? What kinds of things are we talking about when we talk about divorce? The ancient records of Jesus' life actually talked about this, and that's where we're going to be in Mark and our study through Mark. So open your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, and we're going to, here's the path today. This, the, the section we're going to look at has a topic of divorce. The goal is not to explain to you in this message everything the Bible has to say about divorce and everything we need to know. That's impossible. It's to look at this passage and say, what does this passage teach us? And divorce is the context for Jesus helping us to understand our hearts. That's the big picture. So hang on to that, and let's look at Mark chapter 10, starting with verse 1. Then Jesus left Capernaum and went down to the region of Judea into the land into the area east of the Jordan River. Once again, crowds gathered around him, and as usual, he was teaching them. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife? Jesus answered them with a question, what did Moses say in the law about divorce? Well, he permitted it, they replied. He said a man can give, away, give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away. But Jesus responded, he wrote this commandment only as a concession to your hard hearts. But God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and joins his wife and is joined to his wife, and they are two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Later, when he was alone with his disciples in the house, they brought up the subject again, and he told them whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery against her, and if a woman divorces her husband and marries someone else, she commits adultery. Well, you can imagine what was happening here. These, these Pharisees 
were trying to trip Jesus up. They weren't necessarily wanting to listen to learn about what he was saying. They were wanting to trip him up. They probably had been thinking about what to do, and they brought up this topic. Now, volumes have been written about marriage and divorce and remarriage, so we're going to try to focus on what this text says. I'm going to look at three facts about divorce, and we'll unpack them as we go along. The first one is divorce demonstrates our hardness of heart. Jesus and his disciples were on their way to Judea, moving toward that ultimate sacrifice that he's going to make for us when he gives his life for us on the cross. And his popularity was growing. The crowds were coming. He was teaching them all the time. I like it says here, as was his custom, he taught them. Wherever Jesus went, through his life, through his actions, through his miracles he performed, through the words that he spoke, he was teaching. He was always teaching people about God's kingdom, about God's power, about how God brings this hope of redemption in the mess that we're in in our lives today. And then the Pharisees come along, and they were trying to trick him, trying to trip him up. And they pick, they may even have had a meeting before. What's the stickiest issue that we can bring up to Jesus? One that we know is going to trip him up. And I think they found it. And I think it probably would be very similar to today. They wanted Jesus to say something that would incriminate him. They were a sharp bunch of guys, so they figured this out. And here's the really, really interesting thing. If we took five solid Bible-believing evangelical pastors and we lined them up on this stage and they each explain to you what the Bible teaches about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, we probably would have five different positions and some of us would be unhappy with every one of them except one. I mean, that's, that's where we're at today, right? We look at God's Word and we say, all right, this is what God says about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, and we read it and we think, all right, how does that really work in life? So, very similar to the quandary that we're in in our own society or in our own church today. One of these pastors up here in that panel might be accused of being too harsh, too legalistic. Another might be accused of being too liberal, too permissive, and not really holding to what the Bible says. Jesus was smarter than a lot of us. He didn't even want to get into that question because the real question wasn't divorce. The real question was the, hearts behind, the heart behind this question. So he turned it back on the interrogators and said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses say? And Matthew says, Jesus said, is it, they asked Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Something like that. So in order to understand, we need to go back and figure out what did Moses say. So I'm going to read for you Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4. Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. Follow along. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to her, or be, who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and gives it to her and sends her from his house, and if after she leaves his house she becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her and writes a certificate of divorce and gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Thank you, Moses, for clearing that up, right? <laughs> Just that helps me so much. It, I, all right, so what does that mean? Where do we go with that? So look closely at what Jesus asked. Did Mo, what did Moses say in the law? Matthew says, what, what did he command? The truth is, there's no command here. There's no command about divorce. 
They said Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce. He permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce. There's no Old Testament law explicitly um, condemning or a command concerning all divorce. Nowhere in the Bible is divorce completely prohibited. It's just not in Scripture. We see it implied. We see the dangers of divorce. We see the brokenness, the consequences. We see the preference that God has for marriage. We'll get to that in a few minutes. But in this culture in Deuteronomy, if a woman would have been divorced, she would have been totally abandoned by her culture. So what Moses said is, if you're going to divorce your wife, you have to give her a certificate so that she can have a certificate that's something of a protection in that society that she had been married and got this certificate of divorce. Deuteronomy 24 identifies the cause of divorce for which this certificate would be given as something indecent, something shameful. The indiscretion, some have said, well, maybe that's adultery, but adultery was punishable by stoning to death. So once that's happened, the certificate's kind of useless. So it's not adultery. What is it that's going on here that that this is called for? There, There were two main schools of thought in Jesus' day about this indiscretion for which a man could divorce his wife. One school was Rabbi Shammah, who lived a generation before Jesus, this interpretation said that a man was authorized to divorce his wife if he married her on the understanding that she was a virgin, had never had sex with the man, and then after their marriage found out that she had, in fact, been sexually active before they got married. And this rabbi's interpretation is for that reason and that reason alone can a man give his wife a certificate of divorce. There's no other reason, no other rationale for that. Very narrow exclusion. And then Rabbi Hillel held a different take on this. He said that something indecent might include more or less anything that her husband found offensive. She could cease to find favor in his eyes if she burned dinner. Here's your certificate. If he found another woman more attractive than her, Here's your certificate. Uh, This rabbi had this incredibly large exclusion. Just anything that made him unhappy with her could write a certificate of divorce. The Pharisees, that's why in, in Matthew's version, he included that phrase in their question for any and every reason, because that was the question. That was the that was the quandary. That was the trap for Jesus. Which side's he gonna be on? Is he gonna go with this narrow exclusion for divorce, or is he gonna say, hey, If you're not happy with her, you can divorce her. The facts of the matter is that Moses did not command anything about divorce. He gave us directives, but even the Pharisees knew that there were allowances made for divorce. Jesus took it upon himself to explain why. It's because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. You guys are trying to trip me up on this, but it's because of your hard hearts Deuteronomy 24, 1-4 was not sanctioning divorce. It was saying it's a concession because of the sin, the capital S stain of sin on all humanity that, that brings this conversation about. In fact, Jesus in essence was saying, while you guys are busy arguing <clears throat> excuse me, about what specific exceptions can be made permitting divorce, you're totally overlooking your heart the condition of your hearts that makes this discussion 
necessary in the first place. You're missing the point. As a mediator, I've logged several thousand hours of marital mediation with couples over the years. I've sat through some long, ugly, nasty mediations where couples air all their stuff to figure out whether they're going to stay married. I can attest to the hardness of heart that underlies the forsaking of marriage vows. Even well before there's any thought or discussion of divorce, hearts begin to get hard. Holy Spirit conviction begins to be eroded. We ignore that. We harden our hearts. Things like men, men stop cherishing and honoring and loving their wives like they should, or wives start respecting and cherishing their husbands. Darts of accusations begin to fly. Lists of accusations get bigger and bigger. Like, like Tim Keller said in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, my, my spouse's selfishness is always more problematic in my marriage than my selfishness. So we just focus on, on her selfishness. And then these daggers start flying, and the list of offenses grow. And we move from even criticizing and understanding what's wrong to contempt for this person we're married to, where it becomes an identity issue, where their value is demeaned, and we're not even treating them like God says they are, as as image bearers of His. This is well before divorce becomes a topic, guys. Well before divorce becomes a topic. The mess we're in because of the hardness of our hearts is so clear. And the list grows of offenses with great precision. Sometimes I have couples make a log and spec list where they write the list of all the, the, the specs in their eye and the logs, or the log in their eye and the specs in their spouse's eye, the things their spouse has done wrong. Man, that list is easy. I come up with a long list of the things my spouse has done, and my list is really, really short. That's how we do this. And these couples, if they're believers and if they're Bible-believing Christians, then they start saying, oh, how can, I, how can I justify not wanting to be married to this person? And if there's no adultery or if there's no um, abandonment clearly, you know what they, ha- what they start doing? How can I, I think maybe what he's done does fit into that. I can, I can like squeeze it in to make it abandonment, can't I? Or that word porneia that Paul talks about, you know, that's a pretty broad word of sexual sin. So, you know what, he, he did look at pornography once, and so maybe that's my way out. And, and, the, and the point isn't whether or not it is, it's that we're getting caught up in legislation and trying to figure out the details of exemptions instead of the heart issue. It's the hardness of our collective heart. This is a collective thing. The hardness of our collective heart. Jesus went on to describe how divorce falls short of God's plan. He brings them back to Genesis, another book of Moses, to show them the design for marriage. If this institution of marriage was just a human institution, then we can redefine it, we can remake it, we can throw it away and try to build it again. But it's not. It goes all the way back to Genesis, to God's creation. His description of marriage is based on God's creation. We would say marriage is a relationship between a man and a woman united in one flesh, a monogamous, lifelong union, no longer two but one. This is, this is the reference that God gives to us, emotionally, sexually, spiritually, uh, intellectually, where husband and wife are joined as one. We need to accept in God's creation 
and his design and live within that design rather than pretending that we can somehow alter it without adverse consequences and without adverse effects. It's God's design for marriage rooted in creation and that's a danger when we become comfortable with marriage. So marriage partners sometimes become self-focused, protecting their own interests. That's not how God intended it to be. He designed our relationship to be from the very beginning of our marriage, one of growing to love one another, respecting and honoring one another, giving of ourselves for the best of this other person. There's another oft-quoted verse in the Bible that I want to spend a little bit of time at because it usually comes up in this, in this discussion, and that's a verse from Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2, in the New Living Translation, we read, For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. I want to bring this up because in the context of what Jesus is saying is this is a hard issue. Don't look at all these, you know, is it this or this? Um, what are the circumstances or the exemption? It's your heart. But sometimes in our world, we go to this verse and we say, wow, God hates divorce. So if God hates it, even though he allows it, he really hates it. So is it sin or not sin? And I wanted to just unpack a little bit of this verse because it's so pertinent to our discussion. One scholar, because this is a really difficult verse to, to translate, Uh, Malachi chapter 2, verse 16. One scholar said, This text becomes difficult having suffered perhaps at the hand of scribes who took exception to its teaching. It's impossible to make sense of the Hebrew as it stands. And therefore, each translation, even the early translations, contain an element of interpretation. Um, We look at ancient manuscripts, and some of them are more intact than others. This is one that doesn't have a lot helping us. It's a very, very hard passage. Walt Kaiser, who is a president of Gordon-Conwell Seminary and also uh, for a while at Trinity Seminary, was a professor. Jack Collins at Covenant Seminary here in, at Covenant, a professor there in Old Testament, have written articles about this. So if you want to read more, I think they're online, but there's a lot of Hebrew in it, but go for it. There's, but about what this verse really means and how it's interpreted. Some think uh, that it's differently. So just an example. If you have an English Standard Version Bible. It reads differently. It reads like this. For the man who does not love his wife, so already, oh, but the other says, God says, I hate divorce. Well, the English standard says, for the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard your hearts. So which is it? Is it God hates divorce or is it if a man divorces his wife and which is it? There's one translation that's called a literal translation, Young's literal translation. I'm going to read for you what Young's literal translation is. For I hate sending away, said Jehovah, God of Israel, and he who hath covered violence with his clothing, said Jehovah of hosts, and ye have been watchful over your spirit, and ye do not deal treacherously. That's why we really don't want a literal translation. I mean, a literal translation really doesn't help us because it just takes this word and this word and this word and this word. Um, We have to interpret. We have to look at what's going on there to understand what it is. Here's what's going on. If you look at the context of Malachi 2, if you read that whole chapter, God is very unhappy with his Old Testament people because they are abandoning their covenant identity. 
They're abandoning their covenant identity as God's people. And one of the ways that that's being manifested is they're, they're divorcing their covenant wives and they're intermarrying with people who are not of their faith. That's what's happening. And so it's kind of like what Jesus is saying. It's a hard issue, guys. It's a hard issue. You're abandoning your covenant commitment to God. And the way it's showing up is marriage is minimized. That's what's going on there. I wanted to bring this up because it comes, comes up a lot. I talked with church couples especially, and they sit in my office, and a husband and wife are there, and they, they're talking to me about how horrible their marriage is, and they're sniping at each other, and they have nothing good to say to each other. They say, but we're not going to get a divorce because in Malachi chapter 2 it says, I hate divorce. And I sometimes use this metaphor. I say, guys, it's like you're on, you're on Highway 40 in downtown St. Louis, and you're driving east, but you're telling me I'm not going to get off on any exits, but I'm not going to Illinois. You know what? That's the only place Highway 40 goes if you're going east through downtown St. Louis. And if you're not going to get off any others, you're going to end up there. Nope, they're not going to do that. Like, no, that's where you're going. Let's look at the heart. Let's figure out what's going on there. So whatever the best interpretation of Malachi 2.16 is, God's heart is broken over marriage. And if it's God hates or over divorce and the breakdown of marriage, if God hates divorce, he doesn't hate all divorces equally, nor does he hate everything about every divorce. Um, I think it's best to say not every act of divorcing is sinful, but every divorce is the result of sin. It's the result of the brokenness and the sin and leaving God's covenant. So from creation, we see the design for God's marriage that we design a partnership for life of friendship and happiness and fulfillment based on God's design in creation. The third fact we uncover in this passage is that divorce creates lasting consequences. Actually, the reverberations of divorce are long and deep in our lives. Some of you know this personally. You bear the scars of your divorce or divorce of your parents or people that you love. Look with me again at verses 10 through 12. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Divorce does not wipe the slate clean. It just doesn't. Even when it's biblical, even when there's a a safety issue or a biblical rationale and reason for it, it just doesn't wipe the slate clean. It doesn't make everything happy. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 7, illustrating the long-term consequences of divorce. When we lived in Peoria, had a man who lived right next to us when I was pastoring in Peoria many years ago who had became friends. He actually came to faith in Jesus Christ, started attending our church. Many years previously, he had left his first wife and, and divorced her and left her and their daughter in an affair with his current wife, uh, who, who were neighbors of ours, and he was in a situation where his current wife was not happy and getting ready to divorce him. And, and I met with him for hours. Sometimes we'd go on long walks, and he would just talk to me about the pain. But you know what he, what he often would say? It wasn't just the pain of his wife leaving him now. But it's like, wow, I know what I put my wife, first wife through now. I know what I, the, the, the pain and the consequences that I uh, of my actions, which were very, very real. 
Those conversations for him didn't end well. He couldn't find a way of peace for that. Although that's a situation like yours. There's a gospel of grace, a gospel of grace and love. But that story is all too, too common. The consequences don't stop. So these are the three facts about divorce that I wanted to mention. The application of this message is not to launch some huge campaign against divorce or to you know, fight politically for the right definition of marriage, although that's okay. I think the best thing we can do is to be the men and women God's called us to be, to have our hearts soft before God, to care for our wives and husbands. The application is to look at our own lives. So here's my, here's my last word for you. Husbands and wives, I want you to take time this week to talk to God about the selfishness in your own life. I want you to look in your own heart and figure out not whether you want to stay married or get divorced, but are you encouraging your spouse? Are you loving? Are you being kind? Are you listening? Are you doing those things that reflect the value and worth that God's put in your life? I mean, I have to, and you put this in your context, but my wife, I'm the only man on this planet who's been given the privilege and the opportunity to love her as a husband and to show her how Christ loves the church. That's a pretty heavy thing, husbands, isn't it? And wives, you're the only one on this planet for your husbands who's been given that place to be able to love and honor and cherish and encourage and build up your spouse. This is a hard issue. This isn't even a sermon about divorce. It's a sermon about our hearts, and the context is divorce. So that's one thing. If you're not married, if you're single, I want you to examine your heart too. I want you to examine your heart. Or your, is your heart soft before the Lord today? Married people need to know single people who are walking closely with the Lord. Single people need to know married people who are walking closely with, with the Lord. We need to be a church where married people and single people are, are of equal value and equal contributors to what we're doing to support God's picture of marriage in the big scheme of things. Remember, collective hardness of heart, collective softness of heart, and then it filters down to our individual choices as well. This is important. If you're here today and you're divorced, if you're here today and you are divorced, you are a valuable part of our community. You are not a second-class citizen in this church. You're not a second-class citizen in God's kingdom because you've been divorced. You are loved and welcomed here. I'm glad that in the Evangelical Free Church, um, there's a process to go through, but it's even possible for, for someone to be ordained, for a pastor to be ordained in the Evangelical Free Church. Uh, there's a process to go through to talk about uh, divorce situations, but we don't even rule that out to be a pastor in the Evangelical Free Church because we believe in a God of grace and mercy and love and forgiveness and restoration. Um, this is a detour, so I'm going to stop the sermon for just a minute, but I get to do this because I have the microphone right now. So, I feel like we're close enough to something that I want to at least shine a light on it. One of, the, one of the issues that I come across a lot as a pastor, as a mediator, is the whole issue of abuse, violence that goes on in relationships. And there are women who I've talked to who've endured things that they should never endure, men too, but mostly women, who've endured things they've never endured because they go back to this kind of a thing and say, but I don't have reason to, to be real with this. If you're in a relationship right now in your marriage and there is abuse, if there's pushing and shoving and hitting, blocking doors, if there's any kind of um, 
real manipulation in terms of control. That is not God's plan for marriage. Not God's plan for marriage. Please reach out to someone for help. Small group leader, an elder, call me this week. Check in because that's not how God designed marriage to work. If you're, if you're the one who's perpetuating that in your home, if you're the one blocking the doors and angry and yelling and hitting and pushing and shoving, reach out for help. That's not what God designed in your marriage. And I'll get back to the sermon in a minute. For young people especially, girls who are dating, if you're in a dating relationship and the boyfriend you have is controlling and hitting and pushing and shoving and name-calling, that's not what God designed. That's not his will for you. You need to get some help. Talk to one of your youth group leaders. Reach out to somebody so we can help. If you're a teen guy and you treat girls that way, reach out for some help. God doesn't want that in our marriages. So that's my soapbox. Let's get back into the message now. This is not really a message about divorce. It's a message about our hearts. While we can never settle for divorce, it's never God's best. We acknowledge the impact of sin on our world, and we acknowledge the impact of sin on marriages, and at times, we show grace and love for those who've endured divorce. We have resources here at our church. If you're struggling in your marriage or if you're divorced, Divorce Care meets on Wednesday nights. You, you can go there and find a community of people who will take you to God's Word and the real stuff of what you're wrestling with. Even if you're not divorced yet, but you're in the process or you're thinking about it, Divorce Care can be a wonderful place to go on Wednesday nights. Celebrate Recovery every Friday night is a powerful community of believers who are walking these kinds of hard paths and a lot of the hardness of heart issues and a lot of the other issues that we've been talking about, you can find a group of men and women who will walk with you in that. The best application, though, the best application of this text is for me to look at my heart and me to confess my sin and say, God, keep my heart soft before you. Keep my heart soft. And for you to do the same. Let's do that together as our worship team comes. God, this topic is really loaded, and that's why the Pharisees tried to trip Jesus up with it, because we can fall off into so many weeds here. And, and not that they're not important and helpful discussions and even doctrinally important and ecclesiastically important. But what Jesus said is it's the hardness of your hearts. And so today, we collectively, <clears throat> as a church, confess our sin to you and want you to heal our hard hearts, that we would be men and women in a church of hearts soft before you, to care with love and compassion when things fall apart and fail, when people stay together and work through this tough stuff, which is what we want. All of that we want to be for your glory. Amen.